It's okay. It's okay to continue to bask in the glow of Jarek McKinnon's two touchdowns because for many of us, it propelled our fantasy teams to week six victories. Yes! Yeah! But there will be no dance party. No, 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 no. The dance parties cannot be predictable and they can't be every week. They have to be special. And I know I've done this before. (laughs) The fake out. I said, no, 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 no dance party. Forget it. And then we did a dance party. No, no, that's not going to happen. This time, I'm serious. Many of the buzzards and the critics would rather me focus on lessons learned from the incorrect positions that I took this offseason. Yes, yes, cannot forget. I'm wrong about Deshaun Watson so far, so far. You might say, well, you're clearly wrong about Deshaun Watson. What are you doing, Fantasy Mansion? Just get it over with. Rip it off like a Band-Aid. Admit you were wrong about Deshaun Watson and we can move on. Well, the problem is I did that with Cooper Cup. I conceded defeat with Cooper Cup. And what has he done since? 7.4 fantasy points, 5.5 fantasy points. In six games, Cooper Cup has only scored more than 10 fantasy points twice. He's been usable twice. Two times inside the top 50. So I am recanting. I need more time to make my final determination whether or not I was wrong about Cooper Cup. I am certainly trending wrong, but it's not over because you would expect a player who's 24 years old, a year older than Devin Funchess, to be productive at the NFL level, right? Well, he's not that productive at 24 years old, and that's a red flag. 10 fantasy points a game is not good enough. If you're 24, you're in your prime. He has no time to develop at the NFL level because he's so old. He spent so many years at Eastern Washington padding his counting stats. He doesn't have time for the benefit of the doubt, taking a couple years to develop. By that time, he'll be 26. It'll be too late. He'll be on the wrong side of the age apex. He needs to be a fantasy viable asset week in, week out this season, and he's not doing that. He's a very old prospect, Cooper Cup. Yes, I remember him. Why do I always default into the witch voice when I try to go old? Can't I just do a regular old person? Mr. Cup, when I was your age, a 24-year-old wide receiver was close to retirement age. Now, every time I try to go old, I sound evil. Cooper Cup is evil. The white angel of death. He's not evil. I'm sorry, Mrs. Cup. Your son's not evil. He's just lame. So, yes, yes, there were lessons learned from Cooper Cup. The lesson I learned was be patient. Wait before admitting defeat. Wait before conceding a point in fantasy football. Give a player time to fail. <laughs> Right? So that's what we will do with Deshaun Watson. We will give him time to fail. (laughs) But even if we are wrong about Deshaun Watson, and maybe one day it will be decided absolutely I was wrong about Cooper Cup. I was still right about Zay Jones. Right about Aaron Jones. All the Joneses. I was right. And all the Williams, Jamal Williams, Joe Williams, Mike Williams, right about the Williamses, right about the Joneses. That overwhelms the Watson over here and the cup over there. But the real reason we can't have a dance party today 
is because the fantasy world lost Aaron Rodgers. This is a sad day, and I know you're thinking, what? Huh? That's a contrarian opinion by Matt Kelly? I thought the podfather hated Aaron Rodgers. First of all, I don't hate any football player. I respect all of them. They're participating in blood sport, and because of that, they demand your respect. But I don't like Aaron Rodgers, the person. I don't care for his brand. No. Why? I don't mind arrogance, and I don't mind pretension. But when you combine the two, when you combine the arrogance and the pretension, that player just isn't likable. He's just not. Aaron Rodgers is not likable. Period. That's not up for debate. He's not a likable person. But you like the fantasy points that the Packers offensive machine generates. The points that come off that assembly line in Green Bay are also above dispute. We love owning Packers skill position players in fantasy football. And the reason is Aaron Rodgers' greatness on the field. He is a fantasy point engine and he will be missed even though he's not likable. What did Rich Rebar say to us? There's no reason to root against NFL players producing and helping fantasy teams. We want as many usable assets in the player pool as possible. Removing Aaron Rodgers from the league, breaking his collarbone, and relegating him to the sidelines in a sling removes usable pieces from the player pool. Martellus Bennett is now useless. Ty Montgomery and Aaron Jones are now flex options, as are Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. There are only now two players you can count on in fantasy football wearing Packers jerseys. Jordy Nelson and Brett Hundley. We need to talk to my friend Raphael Rabe from Rotoballer. Ask him for his thoughts on the fallout from this Aaron Rodgers injury. What impact will it have on the Green Bay skill position players in fantasy football? My guess is he's underestimated the impact because I think everyone has underestimated the impact. I think it is catastrophic. But Brett Hundley is interesting. If you go to the Brett Hundley player page on playerprofiler.com, you will see a 116.6 98th percentile Spark X score. So his athleticism is as good as it gets. It's right there with Cam Newton and Marcus Mariota. But the throw velocity and the Wonderlick score are below the 50th percentile. So he's not someone that processes information well or quickly. And he doesn't have the arm talent to throw into tight windows consistently. He just doesn't. He cannot push the ball out there on command. That's not in his skill set, and that's okay. The mobility more than makes up for that drawback on his profile. And if you look on the right, you'll see browse Brett Hundley challenges on no halftime. Click that, and you will see the challenges on no halftime involving Brett Hundley. So we now have an integration with no halftime that you need to be utilizing. Click on the browse challenges and you can instantly slide over to no halftime and accept a challenge or create a new challenge involving Brett Hundley. And I would do that before your friends and other fantasy gamers realize Brett Hundley is a top 12 fantasy quarterback the rest of the way. And before you accept a challenge on No Halftime, be sure to enter the promo code UNDERWORLD to get a 50% deposit bonus up to $50. We've been enjoying Jacoby Brissett, but who offers a similar skill set, but Andrew Luck will be back soon. Aaron Rodgers will be out for the next eight weeks. Last time Aaron Rodgers fractured his clavicle, he missed eight weeks, so he could return for the playoffs. 
If you have an IR spot, you should IR him. Do not just drop him unless it is confirmed that he will miss the entire season. Absolutely. Otherwise, make sure you IR Aaron Rodgers because I think he'll be back. And Raphael Rabe from Rotoballer is back on the show. He was on earlier this year. Friend of the program. Real Talk Raph. Follow him. Real Talk Raph on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Raphael Rabe from Rotoballer. Call him Real Talk Raph. There it is. Give me the real talk. You want the real talk? Yes. I've been promoted from AAA, brought in from the bullpen to make my first appearance when what? the Podfather what? brings you on to the show. Wait, you came on earlier this year. But it wasn't in the prime of the NFL season, so I feel like I, I've graduated in status in no, your book. No, we're a 12 months a year, 365 days program. Off-season is just as important as in-season. In fact, it could be more important. I was talking to Lord Reeves, Rich Rebar, and he made the observation that the off-season shows are more evergreen and more important than the in-season shows. So I think you're wrong about that. Already we're disagreeing. I didn't mean to ruffle any feathers. I actually meant it as a compliment. I'm appreciative. Those shows we did in February were good. Stop being so dismissive. Yes, you guys should go back and listen to the riveting work that was done in February. It actually, dude, I listen to your show all year around. I know a lot of people you bring on here are fans of the show. I'm no different, and uh, so I love it, man. I, I like to bring on people that are fans of the show. If you get the show, you operate better in the context of the show. We interact better if you know where I'm going with these bits and you know what I'm trying to accomplish with these questions. Those that... Our listeners, they get it. It produces a better product at the end of the day. So let's get right into it. First question. Yes. Aaron Rodgers is likely out for the season. I don't think he is. I think he'll be back for the fantasy playoffs. But as of right now, they're saying he's out for the year. That's the speculation. Regardless, he'll miss at least eight games. So what is the real talk fallout from the Aaron Rodgers injury, starting with Jordy Nelson? Is he still a WR1 in fantasy? It's impossible to pretend that losing this uh, you know, amazing, prolific, tenured quarterback is going to have zero effect on the fantasy value, especially of Jordy Nelson, a guy who he has a longstanding synergy football relationship with clearly a security blanket and go-to receiver for him all at the same time. So it's impossible to say it's not going to have an effect. I'm pretty sure that, you know, Devontae Adams, who's still got a touchdown thrown to him by Hundley, is going to retain a glimmer of value. But I think you have to now lower the ceiling for Jordy Nelson. And I think Randall Cobb perhaps also disappears. I'm not sure there will be enough pass attempts, ability to spread the ball out for all of these guys to continue to eat. No. But I do... But Jordy Nelson should still retain, what, high-end WR2 status? So the Colts had this problem to start the year. No Andrew Luck. They went with Jacoby Brissett, a mobile quarterback who actually has been an efficient passer, but not a high-volume passer, not a guy that can carry the team. Well, that's Brett Hundley. I think he'll be efficient. I think he'll be mobile. I think he'll be running for first downs. But he won't be able to carry the team. He won't be able to raise the game of his supporting cast. That's not what Brett Hundley is. I think Brett Hundley is going to operate within the context of the offense. I think he'll be successful. I certainly like Brett Hundley as a must-add player in two quarterback leagues and super flex leagues. We have him as the number 12 quarterback the rest of the way, primarily because they will be throwing and he will be running. 
they will be throwing, and he will be running. And that's what matters. That's what generates fantasy points. But for the supporting cast, for the receivers that will be catching the passes, this is devastating. Here are the splits since 2013, the last time Aaron Rodgers broke his clavicle. On a similar play, by the way. Jordy Nelson with Aaron Rodgers, 20 fantasy points a game, six receptions a game, a 70% catch rate, 85 yards per game, and .87 touchdowns per game. Almost a touchdown per game with Aaron Rodgers. Without Aaron Rodgers, eight games with Seneca Wallace and Matt Flynn and Scott Tolzien, 12 fantasy points, 4.5 receptions per game, a 63% catch rate, 62 yards per game, and only .14 touchdowns per game. .14 touchdowns per game. In that season, 2013... Look at the box scores. James Jones was the leading receiver just as often as Jordy Nelson was. This is the problem. Instead of getting consistent weekly performances out of Jordy Nelson with the occasional two-touchdown game, which also elevates his ceiling, with Brett Hundley, the floor collapses and the ceiling is lowered significantly. It's a huge problem. It cannot be overstated how bad this is for Jordy Nelson. And when you look at Devontae Adams, when you look at Randall Cobb, It eviscerates their fantasy value. They go from every week WR2s to flex options, maybe based on the matchup. I mean, this is a catastrophe, Raph. That's pretty awful, dude. I have quite a bit of uh, Devontae Adams shares. Um, I'm I'm not okay with this. I also am not okay with panicking to the point of selling these guys for pennies on the dollar. I mean... No one's trading for Packers wide receivers right now. Forget it. No, it's not worth it. I agree. You have to ride this out. It's just like Amari Cooper. You can't trade them at a bottom. You have to ride them out and hopefully they can flash in the first game with Brett Hundley. And then one of your competitors might believe that this represents a return to normalcy. And then you can trade Jordy Nelson. But when there's so much uncertainty swirling around these players, that's not the time to trade them. I totally agree. And uh, this week, you know, home game coming up against the Saints, uh, which with an immensely improved defense with, you know, a very, very good young cornerback. Jordy, Jordy might be in trouble just because. Marshawn Lattimore will have something to say about Jordy Nelson scoring fantasy football points this week. What about the running backs? Aaron Jones, is he even startable? Ty Montgomery, is he even startable? Dude, I heard the dance party last week, and now we have to, like, the cops came in, they raided the party. Yes. We have to to stop dancing because... First of all, it was messed up enough this week when when Tymont, who we both loved in the preseason, but you really loved him. You know, when he was listed as playing this week, I was like, because, you know, it takes the confidence out of the Aaron Jones monster game. It was a tough matchup as it was against the Vikings. Anytime you inject ambiguity into the opportunity share breakdown for a backfield, that's always bad. It's bad for DFS, it's bad for start-sit decisions and redraft, it's just bad. You didn't want Ty Montgomery to play. No one did. <laughs> well, his owners did, but yeah, no one else. Okay, if you own Ty Montgomery and you didn't have Aaron Jones and you didn't have a better option, okay, those guys wanted Ty Montgomery to play. I played him in the FFPC, in which I have Ty Montgomery, I don't have Aaron Jones, and I regretted it. I wish I could go back and have played Deion Lewis, but... I had the choice of playing Ty Montgomery, so I did. 
It's amazing to me that, uh, and, and I don't know if this was the uh, seamless transition to the Deion Lewis discussion, but but certainly one thing I'll say about Ty Montgomery is before this past week where we saw what happened when they were both on the field, I had already said that at this point, Aaron Jones, if healthy, isn't going away, and Ty Montgomery's ceiling now became you know like a James White PPR ceiling, which isn't bad. It's not bad, but it certainly wasn't the top five running back in PPR that we possibly could have foreseen or projected before the season started when we thought he would have the full opportunity share and get the most snaps. So to me now, you've taken him from a top five PPR running back ceiling <laughs> to James White. That's what you have there now with Ty Montgomery. It's been three strikes against Ty Montgomery in three weeks. Boom! Punch to the ribs. Bam! There goes Aaron Jones with your job. And then pow! (laughs) It's a Batman episode. (laughs) Aaron Rodgers is carted off. I mean, that's just boom, boom, boom. Three strikes. You're out. Ty Montgomery, he's essentially become a flex option in fantasy football. Martellus Bennett, by the way, is not even startable. No one's talking about Martellus Bennett, but poor Martellus Bennett. Martellus Bennett was a fringe fantasy viable tight end with Aaron Rodgers. Without Aaron Rodgers, forget Martellus Bennett. (laughs) But let's focus on the positive. Jarek McKinnon, is he for real? Oh, he's so real. He's so real. So real. We've been waiting for this for a couple of years, at least a couple of years. I mean, even when I thought Adrian Peterson was finished a few years back, and I've still to this day, I don't think I've ever owned Adrian Peterson once in fantasy football, believe it or not. And that's I haven't either. I've never owned Adrian Peterson until this year. I own Adrian Peterson in a bunch of dynasty leagues this year because he was so inexpensive in the offseason. But this was the first time I realized it one day. Because I was reviewing my Dynasty roster, and I saw Adrian Peterson, and I was trying to project what I would get from Adrian Peterson, what his Dynasty value is, what his lifetime value is going to be, how many years he's going to play, so on, so forth. And then it hit me. I've never owned this motherfucker. (laughs) It's amazing how that happens, because, I mean, for a while there, he was the guy. But, but, But really, to bring this back to McKinnon, last year... You know, the truther mill was just not operating at full efficiency. We didn't know why... Jarek McKinnon got the opportunity. I saw it. We projected that this would happen. We spoke about him in the preseason last year as the must-own handcuff for Adrian Peterson, but it didn't happen. The the line sucked. It did happen. It did happen in week 17. It (laughs) finally did happen. Yeah. It did. The the bulb went off. Yes. In week 17, it finally happened. Once all of the fantasy leagues were decided— at that point, at that moment, that's when Jarek McKinnon decided to become a top 10 fantasy running back that week. So whether he was hurt, the offensive line was hurt, both. He got healthy in the final week, gave us a flash, and now we're getting that every week. Two touchdowns last week, Raph. Two touchdowns. Yeah, no, dude. I, I, we couldn't, I mean, really, you know, you, you changed your Twitter handle to Jarek uh, McTruther. I mean, so I can't, like, trump you, no pun intended, on that one. Oh, but, no, 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 no! <laughs> but, but I've been on this guy. I mean, my, my co-host on the pod, Aniano, he, he's sickened by my Jarek McKinnon trutherdom for multiple years. You know what's ironic? I see a lot of Devontae Booker here, another guy who people get upset when I go touting. And it's, you know, F them, because this is the same course that will eventually take place where the primary guy who you thought was a workhorse who didn't really have pass-catching ability will eventually erode and or be removed and or released. And then the guy with the true athleticism and ability to do it all will take over and be given a full chance. 
it's amazing to me, and I'm I'm not even looking at workout metrics. I'm just feeling it that McKinnon and Devontae Booker have such a similar potential path. Obviously, McKinnon was not a college running back, but still, the athleticism and the ability is is amazing. And McKinnon, when you saw what he did this past week with the with the bubble screens and the dump offs, you just give him the ball and he does the rest. That's all you need to do with McKinnon. He's still only getting a sixty percent opportunity share max. He needs to be getting at least a 70 to 80% opportunity share. The fact that they're still placating Latavius Murray with 10 plus carries per game is a shocking misallocation of resources and yet not shocking at all. Unsurprising. This is what I always think when I see the distribution of touches for many NFL teams across the wide receivers and running backs and sometimes the tight ends. I think, oh, that's both stunning and not surprising at the same time that NFL teams would be so irrational with their distribution of touches across players where we have a case in Minnesota where Jarek McKinnon is clearly by far and away the more talented running back that on any given carry he gives the Vikings a better chance to win but still no gonna make sure that Latavius Murray gets 40% of the opportunities and that's just wrong what happens next year Matt after McKinnon posts ridiculous numbers and Cook comes back I actually said to someone yesterday I was like I think the Vikings are gonna have to trade him because I I mean what are they gonna do they're gonna just relegate him to playing on some passing downs behind yes Dalvin Cook I mean that's awful I think he's a free agent is he not oh he might be you know what you might be right but in 2018, he will be a free agent. Do you know he's only making $700,000 this year? It's a travesty. He's only making $700,000 facing NFL linebackers each and every play that want to end his life. Yeah. And he's making less than a million dollars. Yeah, it's basically the equivalent of uh, an average civilian working at McDonald's. You know, long hours behind. Well, you know. I mean, not exactly. You don't make $700,000 working at McDonald's. Although some people do. Some executives at McDonald's certainly make a hell of a lot more than Jarek McKinnon's making right now. The, uh... But let's shift our focus to New Orleans. Because yeah. here we have another Satellite Back Plus who had an opportunity to move into an every-down role in Alvin Kamara, and that didn't happen because the Saints had other ideas. They wanted Mark Ingram to be a primary workhorse and allow Alvin Kamara to continue to thrive in the satellite back role, which I think optimizes their respective skill sets. I agree with this. So will Mark Ingram continue to outscore Alvin Kamara the rest of the season? I mean, is this the new normal? Is Mark Ingram a top 10 back the rest of the way? Maybe top five? Uh... From my memory and my recollection, the last two seasons, Mark Ingram has finished as a top 10 PPR running back. And I didn't see that changing this year. I believe we spoke about this in the preseason. Uh, I had you on the SiriusXM show I hosted during the week. And we spoke about Adrian Peterson at the time versus, you know, uh, Mark Ingram's role. Alvin Kamara was on your tongue back then as well. But we were more concerned about the other dynamic. What? What? Was that not? Did that not happen? Alvin Kamara was on my tongue? Well, in other words, you mentioned that you thought he was a super talented running back that would eventually get his I've never heard that phrase. Alvin Kamara was on my tongue this summer. Well, hey now. Yuck. First of all, (laughs) ouch. Second of all, yuck. All right, let's clean this up a bit. Yes, Mark Ingram deserves the workload. They paid him. He's been there. He's shown the ability to be good. But there's no question that Alvin Kamara is a more explosive player. Uh, you know, it, So Mark Ingram should have been on my tongue all along. <laughs> I hate to say this. I'm a Mark Ingram guy. I mean, I've just been a Mark Ingram guy. I don't own him. You have to at some point. At some point, a yeah. player rises above his college resume, which was... 
productive, but not as productive as you'd like from an Alabama running back. And rises above his workout metrics, which were well below the 50th percentile across the board. Eventually, he's no longer that guy, and he's just his on-field efficiency, which has been exceptional. It's pretty crazy because I didn't see him as this pass-catching specialist you know, years ago, but he's certainly become that. And I don't know if he's a specialist as much as he's just a producer. I mean, the guy gets... He's an all-terrain back, man. He wins in all phases. And he's the reason why Adrian Peterson was traded to Arizona, because the team wanted to feed Mark Ingram. It's been interesting because it's been a tumultuous relationship between Mark Ingram and the Saints. There's been arguments on the sidelines. (laughs) Mark Ingram objected to the Saints giving the ball to Tim Hightower on the goal line which prevented Mark Ingram from reaching a touchdown bonus in his contract. That was that was certainly a friction point in New Orleans. And for that reason, you saw them bring in Adrian Peterson, and you could weave the narrative that this was the New Orleans Saints wanting to phase out Mark Ingram. But Mark Ingram's just too damn good. He's too damn good in all phases to be phased out. See what I did there? I do see that, <laughs> Yes. And now Adrian Peterson's on the other coast, and Mark Ingram looks like a top five back. Not top ten, but if we have Ezekiel Elliott suspended, and Mark Ingram's in New Orleans while LaShawn McCoy's on this Buffalo offense, you could argue, oh, oh, look at that. Look at Mark Ingram, top five. It's crazy. It's crazy. I don't really play in standard leagues, so I don't even give a shit about what people analyze there. But in PPR... Mark Ingram is a must-start every single week, and he has been. He entered the season for me as a must-start. So it's not shocking that he's producing as such right now. The great thing about Mark Ingram is that he catches passes in running situations. This, to me, is the telltale sign of a true NFL workhorse and RB1 in fantasy. Are they catching passes in running situations? Look for that. I think you'll also see Joe Mixon catching passes in running situations as the Bengals deploy Mixon the way the Saints deployed Mark Ingram last week against the Steelers in Week 7. I see the Bengals giving Joe Mixon a 60-70% to opportunity share and Joe Mixon running away with that starting job, establishing himself as a true bell cow and an RB1 the rest of the way. Joe Mixon has the talent profile to do that. That's what I believe. Do you agree? I agree that he has a talent profile. The question is, does he have the offensive line to do it? And also, look, Gio Bernard is still a very high-end pass-catching specialist, a la Chris Thompson. Although the volume's not there, there will be a limitation. But the one thing Joe Mixon brings to the table, Mark Ingram brings to the table, even a guy like Deion Lewis on a much smaller scale, is that when you line them up behind the quarterback, the offensive coordinator creates an illusion for the defense. They're not really sure if they're going to run the ball or pass the ball because these guys have variable skill sets and both will be, you know, they, they can do damage in from both sides. So it's a flexibility to play calling. And it also is a testament to their athleticism. Really, Joe Mixon is a specimen. We just have yet to see a tremendous game from him. I mean, he hasn't eclipsed 13.1 fantasy points in PPR yet this season, but that that's coming soon. It might not come this week. It's coming this week. It's absolutely coming this week. He will put that 111.291st percentile speed score to good use against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers allowed 181 yards and 6.5 yards per carry to Leonard Fournette. They allowed 82 <laughs> yards and 9. 
1.1 yards per carry to Alex Collins the week prior. And then the week before that, they allowed 140 yards on 6.1 yards per carry to Jordan Howard. And since Bill Lazor became the offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Mixon's snap share went up from 29% to 53%. His opportunity share among the running backs went from 35% to 67%. And his touches inside the 10 went from 0%, that was Jeremy Hill's job, to 67%. As they rightfully phase out Jeremy Hill, because have Jeremy Hill in the backfield, as you mentioned, it telegraphs to the defense what you're going to do. When Joe Mixon's back there, because he has a true every-down, all-terrain, all-purpose skill set, you have no idea what's coming. Joe Mixon posted an 11.7% 81st percentile college target share. He was the satellite back for the Oklahoma Sooners to Samaj P. Ryan's grinder role. They just chose to play him in that role. He could have been the every-down guy if they asked him to play that role. And now, for the first time, I believe, the Bengals will ask Joe Mixon to be an every-down workhorse this week, Week 7, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And their defensive philosophy is allow teams to run and shut down the pass. Create running lanes while shutting out the pass. Create running lanes while shutting out the pass. That was how they defended Jacksonville. That was how they defended Baltimore. That was how they defended Chicago. And that's how they will attempt to defend Cincinnati. The question is, will Joe Mixon be able to make them pay? And I think he will. My guess is that the Pittsburgh Steelers do not have playerprofiler.com. And that they will underestimate the damage that Joe Mixon can inflict on their defense. And they will say, go ahead, Joe. We'll see what you got. We're going to implement our run funnel this week. And that will be a mistake. Uh, Third most fantasy points allowed to running backs per week thus far is the Pittsburgh Steelers. It would be hard to imagine that with coming off the bye week and the natural progression and the quality of opponent that Joe Mixon doesn't post his best week yet in the NFL. It sets up perfectly, Raph. It sets up perfectly. This is your last chance to trade for Joe Mixon. The window is closing. It's closing quickly. You have T-minus five days, 15 hours, <laughs> 11 minutes, 62 Wait, not 62 seconds. 42 seconds to trade for Joe Mixon. I'm going to put that in the outtakes. There's no such thing as 62 seconds. Oh, boy. Majestic. I thought the frog in the throat would certainly make the outtakes, at least one of the frog in the throats. Well, the frog is going in the outtakes, but guess what? Frog's gone, buddy. Good. You've noticed I've become a lot more long-winded since I (laughs) expelled the frog. I've I've been boxing you out of the show since the frog (laughs) was killed. I was ready to be the workhorse today, buddy, if the frog had popped back up. But I'm good. I'm good playing the satellite back role. We're we're doing it. Yes, yes. So, question for you. Has an NFL star been born in Deshaun Watson? First of all, yes, but I could not have seen this coming. I just could not have seen it coming. So everything about it is shocking to me. The, 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 you know, how green he is, the offense that he's in, everything, his level of success. I just can't believe it. But it's hard to deny the production at this point. You can't just shit on it, for lack of better terms. There are lots of better terms than just saying shit on it. Well, we expect a higher level of sophistication from our guests on the Roto Underworld radio program, Raph. Okay, I'm sorry. Should I be more uh, eloquent? You're a crude dude. Don't worry. I'll balance it out with my sophistication. There's nothing left to say about Deshaun Watson. I'm trending wrong. (laughs) I have been trending wrong for the last four weeks, and I will continue to trend wrong. But I will remind you that Deshaun Watson has succeeded against 
the worst secondaries in the NFL, the Patriots, the Titans, and the Browns, in addition to a garbage-time-fueled fourth-quarter fireworks display in the sky. That's why we're having this conversation right now about Deshaun Watson. If he played good secondaries the last month, we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's my contention. I mean, maybe not. Maybe he's that good. Maybe he's the second incarnation of Dak Prescott. Maybe. Maybe. But with Dak Prescott, you see, I've seen close to 25 weeks of performances. I've seen four good games from Deshaun Watson. So no, we're not moving Deshaun Watson ahead of Dak Prescott in either our seasonal rankings or our dynasty rankings. We will wait and continue to watch and see if Deshaun Watson can prove that he belongs in that echelon, but I need to see more, but I would admit that I am trending very, very, very wrong. He's uh, he's looking like an NFL prodigy at the moment. After two very slow starting weeks, um, the guy is now the second leading scorer in all of fantasy football. Oh, God. I'm just a skeptic. Whenever someone brings that player to my doorstep, the guy that seems too good to be true, he usually is. That's why I'm skeptical. Now let's go on to a game. Contrived dichotomies. I'm going to modulate my voice so it sounds cool. I was waiting for that line, actually. Yes, modulation. <laughs> Brett Hundley or Ben Roethlisberger? Oh, you're doing this to me. Dude, I hate I hate Ben Roethlisberger, but I'm still taking him over Brett Hundley. Wrong! The answer is Brett Hundley. He's no. mobile. Ben Roethlisberger is not. He also has weapons, just like Ben Roethlisberger does. Ben Roethlisberger looks washed. He wanted to retire in the offseason because he knows he doesn't have it anymore. The next contrived dichotomy, Carlos Hyde or Jordan Howard. Man, these are shit. I'm waiting to get my my right, you know, my little right sound. Um, well, you didn't get it yet. No, I know, and I don't know if I'm going to get it on this one. In in PPR leagues, I'm still going Carlos Hyde, but Jordan Howard with the rookie quarterback. That's all we care about. Give you the check mark. <laughs> we don't care about standard leagues. It's all about PPR. The answer is Carlos Hyde. Duke Johnson or Chris Thompson? Duke Johnson's getting more targets per game, and he has an opportunity to be a between-the-tackles grinder, as you call him. What? It's Duke Johnson. Really? Duke Johnson. I think, really? he's I think he's better at running between tackles than Chris Thompson is, yeah. I love Chris Thompson. I own him everywhere. You're sailing into a headwind betting against Chris Thompson right now. You do realize this. Well, here's the thing. Chris Thompson One is... guy's a key cog in an efficient, prolific offense, Washington. One guy's a brown. Listen, if you look at my 16 fantasy teams season long, I have... On all 16, between those teams, I have at least 10 to 11 shares of these guys combined. Okay, first of all, you just said shares, so that <laughs> nullified whatever analysis you were giving, but then it didn't matter because the analysis you were giving was telling the audience about your fantasy team, and no one cares about your fantasy team. I like Duke Johnson better uh, for... for Let me answer this for you. You think Duke Johnson is better because if you're going to roster a flex running back, 
he better have RB1 upside in the event of an injury or some turnover on the depth chart. Duke Johnson has that because he can operate as a true primary back bell cow on the Browns if called upon. That would never be Chris Thompson's role on Washington. That's why Duke Johnson's ceiling, his hypothetical ceiling, is higher. And those are the guys you want to roster if we're talking about satellite flex options that are volatile week to week anyway. Uh, it's, it's exactly, I couldn't have said it better, but you, you know, you're asking me to, to choose. Between no, 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 no. Next one. Ricardo Lewis or Roger Lewis. Roger Lewis, better quarterback, less receivers. Bing. Let's give him the correct answer sound on that. No one knows about Roger Lewis, and after New York played Denver, and Roger Lewis predictably had one catch, which is what we expected when he played Denver, and had to face Aqib Tlaib the entire game, what did you think was going to happen? No, Roger Lewis is going to be a fantasy asset this year. Just trust us. Jordan Reed or Austin Safarian Jenkins of the New York Football Jets? Austin Safarian Jenkins, love me tender. Really? Really? Seriously? In, in PPR, absolutely. He's the primary receiver on the Jets. Negative game script projected very often for that team. Oh, and wait, he doesn't get injured every week. Oh, snap! Love it. Hunter Henry or Austin Hooper? Oh, man. Mm. Mm. Right now. Oh, mm. no. You know what? You know what? No, forget it. It's, it. it's Hunter Henry. Oh, he said it. I knew it. I knew you were going to say this. Even though using player profilers metrics, we did an analysis on tight ends this past weekend, and it's shocking how often the old man Gates is still seeing the field. But, 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 I think as the season goes on, attrition will continue to take place. Hunter Henry will see a lot of targets. You know that there's 10 targets a game are going to Chargers tight ends. Eventually, Hunter Henry will see the majority. But Austin Hooper had nine targets just last week for seven catches. The week before that, seven targets, caught five of them for 50 yards. And then when he wasn't getting targeted, what was he doing? He was taking his two receptions in week one for 128 yards and a touchdown. So he's both getting targets and converting those targets into yards efficiently, sometimes touchdowns, meaning he's one of the most efficient fantasy point scorers on a per-target basis, and the targets are continuing to escalate week by week. So the answer is Austin Hooper. It's not the guy splitting tight end targets with Antonio Gates. It's just not. It's just not. What happens when Sanu comes back? That's my only question to you, because I do like Austin Hooper. Sanu? Sanu? That's the reason you didn't pick Austin Hooper is the the foreboding arrival of Mohamed Sanu like an alien spaceship. He's going to nullify Austin Hooper's targets. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out. Austin Hooper is ascending. He's young. He's athletic. He's 23 years old. He has an 1132 80th percentile agility score. We love agile tight ends. What do we like about Austin Safarian Jenkins? Exceptional size adjusted agility, the ability to operate in tight spaces with that lateral quickness. That's Austin Hooper. That's Austin Safarian Jenkins. You're wrong. More likely to break out. Okay. More likely to break out this season at any point. Leonte Carew or Laquan Treadwell? This is the, you're asking me a lot of tough questions. When you sit down in front of the microphone and accept the call that comes in from Roto Underworld on your computer, you know, above all else, there will be tough questions. 
and I appreciate that. We don't we don't take softballs here. Um, listen, Leonte Carew was such a prolific college producer that it's hard to discount it. But when you watch this game this past week, he looked like a deer in headlights. Unfortunately, Treadwell has more reps at the big league level, as they say. But I'm still going to take Carew because I just like him better, and I can't believe that Laquan Treadwell will ever actually pop in Minnesota. Treadwell looked good last week. He did. He looked very good. I watched his targets, and he wasn't gaining separation. This is not how Laquan Treadwell wins on the football field. He's not a guy that's going to get a lot of target separation, which is a metric we now have on player profiler, by the way. The yards of separation at target between the wide receiver and the cornerback is captured on playerprofiler.com. And forever, for the rest of his career, Laquan Treadwell's target separation on player profiler will be below average, (laughs) as is Des Bryant's. But what you saw from Laquan Treadwell, shades of Des Bryant, using his body, using leverage to get separation and secure the ball in traffic, he also had an amazing one-handed catch, which sparked the vividness bias. I understand the vividness bias, but the vividness bias was washing over me a little bit with Laquan Treadwell last week, and it's one of those darkest before the dawn situations. He's being dropped in Dynasty Leagues. No. This is the moment where Laquan Treadwell is finally affordable. I'm all in on Laquan Treadwell when he's affordable. I just wasn't buying Laquan Treadwell when he was a top three Dynasty rookie draft pick, but now here... Where Laquan Treadwell is a backup wide receiver, where he's buried on the depth chart, he's been discarded and forgotten, now's the time to buy. But I'd still rather have Leonte Carew. There we go. Tiffany Adam Thielen and uh, our boy Stephon Diggs, they're taking up a lot of that target share. It's just the way it's going to work. Yeah, it's Minnesota. Get out of here. You don't want the third receiver in Minnesota. Get out of here. Yeah. Which player are you most surprised by this season? Like, who's been the most pleasant surprise for Raph? But pleasant or not, my most my biggest surprise is Alex Smith. I cannot believe yes. the numbers this guy has put yeah. up this season. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. It's not even pleasant because I couldn't have seen this coming. And even after the first couple of weeks, I was like, meh. Yeah, I gave Deshaun Watson more more credit. But it's it's real, dude. I mean, Alex Smith, even in a bad game, is 18 points. I feel like there is a baton, a single baton. And game manager quarterbacks or the shot-taking game manager quarterback, the guy who doesn't profile as a prolific quarterback one way or the other, gets the baton once in his career. That guy was Matt Ryan last year. He was handed the baton and allowed to become a top five fantasy football quarterback propelled by his weapons. His supporting cast is exceptional from Tevin Coleman to Devontae Freeman to Julio Jones. Before him, it was Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton was a top five fantasy quarterback. And we would all agree that Andy Dalton is a game manager and it didn't matter because his supporting cast included A.J. Green, Giovanni Bernard, Tyler Eifert. And when that's your supporting cast, you can be elevated to top five fantasy football quarterback. This year, the baton was passed to Alex Smith. And with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt, Alex Smith is riding one of the league's best supporting casts to 20 fantasy points per game. That's what he'll finish with this season. He is going to dominate Matt Ryan's fantasy point output this season. And you should have known that. If you were buying Matt Ryan based on one prolific season after a long history in the NFL of good, not great performances, that's on you. And if you didn't immediately readjust, recalibrate your assumptions 
around Alex Smith, once you saw him light up the Patriots in week one, that is on you. Quarterback is a year-to-year endeavor. You don't know what you're going to get from every quarterback outside the top five. Of course, we know Brady and Rodgers and Breeze. We know these guys. We know what they are. Soon you can add Dak Prescott to that group. But for the other guys, quarterback 6 through 20, you don't know who's going to be the fifth guy. You don't know who will check in as the number five fantasy quarterback in any given year. It could be any of 15 guys. So pay attention in weeks one and two to see who has the baton this year. It was Alex Smith. By the way, I would also just add to that very, very high-end analysis that in Dalton's year that he had you know, a couple of those or just one of those really good years and Matt Ryan, they benefited from a very good offensive line. And when I look at Alex Smith's player profiler page, his protection rate is sixth best in the league right now. It doesn't shock me that he's also benefiting from that. So so all these, all these things combined, I mean. Exactly. It all clicks into place where the offense is just incredibly efficient and the quarterback is a cog in this efficient offensive machine. That is the Chiefs this year. That's what we're looking at. Another game. Is he back? Jay Ajayi. Yeah, I don't even know if he ever went anywhere. I just think the team sucked and they weren't giving him the right opportunities. Is he back based on this one performance? Yes. Um, but I still thought of him as, a, as an RB2 every single week floor pretty much i mean even in his worst moments i still had faith in ajay i barely own him anywhere he's too volatile man he's too volatile to invest in when you're running behind a bad offensive line yeah you're going to experience high weekly volatility that's just what you're in for if you're an jay ajayi fantasy owner this is what you signed up for you signed up for one game with 11 carries for 30 yards and another game 22 carries for 160 yards and you just don't know the one thing you do know though is that the touchdowns will be few and far between on the miami dolphins constipated jay cutler led offense when your quarterback is disinterested and the offensive line stinks you're not going to score a lot of touchdowns adrian peterson uh he's he's back right you think he's back you think he's back people are gonna like this the hips looked a little tight but he definitely showed that power running ability i don't know if he's gonna shake and bake on people as much and we'll see if he can hold up but you're buying yeah he looks he looks like he's back buy high on adrian peterson according to Raphael rabe i didn't say buy high i just said he's back it's a big difference no you mean if you're saying he's back you should be looking to buy high however there are certain players you can't really acquire in fantasy football where it's it's all theoretical. It's true. It's an intellectual exercise discussing trading for Adrian Peterson, but in practice, you can't actually trade for Adrian Peterson. No. And anyone who happened to have scooped him and or owned him and or, and or started and benefited from this past week is not going to be willing to do that. They think they have an RB1 the rest of season. I would tell them to slow their roll a little bit, that it's going to be game script dependent. And we have yet to see, but he's back, right? Like he showed that he was being underutilized in New Orleans and that he still had something left in the tank. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah. Initiating trade talks with a newly vindicated sicko diehard Adrian Peterson truther is not my idea of a good time. (laughs) It's disgusting. Is Matt Forte back? He's a negative game script PPR superstar. If he's healthy, (laughs) that's what he is. I I said it. That's it. So is he back? Yeah. Sounds like he's back. He is what he is, man. He's always been good. He out-touched Elijah Maguire last week. Oh, God. That was a cute little bed shitting he put up. I mean. Look at you, the crude bed shitting critique. 
What? That's standard fantasy vernacular. Come on now. Forte's good at pa- catching passes. The Jets throw a lot of them, especially late in games. Matt Forte just needs to be on the field. He gets his seven or eight targets. You heard it here. Deion Lewis. Love him. Right, right, right. This week had to have been the final nail hammered into the Mike Gillisley fantasy football value oh, coffee. Mike Gillisley is such a zero. He always has been. He was an underwhelming prospect coming out of Florida. He was a random red zone efficiency fueled fantasy asset coming over to New England from the Buffalo Bills. And now he's been exposed as what he is, a pumped up between the tackles grinder that actually isn't strong between the tackles. He's not forceful at all. He's not good. He can't catch passes. He can't move the pile. He can't do any of the things that allow a running back to accumulate fantasy points when the situation isn't perfectly set up for him. But God, were the truth or strong the first couple of games this season. And boy, did I have to fight them off. But I don't have to anymore. Deion Lewis is the most elusive running back in the league over the last three years, 2015, 2016, and now 2017. Deion Lewis has the highest juke rate in the playerprofiler.com database, the most evaded tackles per touch. It's Deion Lewis. It took him a long time to get healthy. He had a setback. He tore his ACL. And then he re-injured a torn ACL that he wasn't completely rehabilitated from. That's a massive setback. When you re-injure a torn ligament, you think that's going to set you back? Yeah, it set him back a year and a half. But a year and a half later, he looks like 2015 Dion Lewis, and that makes me happy. What about Darren McFadden? Is he back? Darren McFadden is washed up to me, and I personally don't have any affinity for him. Two years ago, I had an affinity for him before they drafted uh, uh, Zeke, and I got a good season out of him. And then in that same league, in the Dynasty League, I dumped him the next year. Okay, thanks for walking us through the transaction history in one of your Dynasty Leagues. Alf Morris over McFadden, will he get that opportunity share? I don't know, but that's how I'm rolling. Alf Morris over Darren McFadden. You Really? Yes, really. Wow. So the guy that doesn't catch passes will outscore the guy that does catch passes. The guy that does catch passes should be a pass-catching specialist only because he doesn't have a good yards per carry, and he doesn't look like he has much burst left in the tank. Jerry Jones wants Darren McFadden to succeed, and Jerry Jones gets his way in Dallas. Have you seen anyone kneeling during the National Anthem in Dallas, Raph? I hate the NFL. I honestly hate the NFL. I can't even the answer that The answer is no, and no. Darren McFadden will get more touches in all phases than Alfred Morris. Book it. Are you buying low or selling low on Amari Cooper? There's no such a thing as selling low on a guy like that, so it has to be a buy low. It has to be. You can't sell low. Can't. You can't sell here. You can't no. sell. No. And you can't. Redraft or dynasty, you're buying low. Watch the tape. Watch the tape on Amari Cooper. We know the metrics are as bad as any receiver since Greg Little. We know that to be the case. That's true. If you're interested in taking it a step further, which I am, when I have a conundrum player, once in a while you have a conundrum player who posts exceptional metrics for six straight seasons, going all the way back to his freshman year at Alabama, and then suddenly implodes one of those old apartment buildings getting demoed. And the, the, the whole thing is sort of imploding and crumbling into the center and then falling down. That's Amari Cooper in fantasy football. Yep. And you're wondering, how does that happen? How did they trigger the detonation? 
when you're asking those questions, I do believe there's some value in going back and looking at the tape. And you can see in many instances, Amari Cooper is getting wide open. He's just not being targeted. He is being negatively impacted by random events and outcomes on the football field. Nothing positive is working in his favor. Anything that's random that's occurring in and around Amari Cooper is hurting him. Eventually, those tides will shift. Eventually, he will be targeted on a play in which the defender falls down and he runs for a touchdown. A 60-yard splash play. That's in his range of outcomes. That's coming. So if you own him in fantasy football, you just have to hold on and wait for a splash play. And once he has a splash play, a play, sentiments will shift very quickly because we want the sentiment to shift. Everyone wants to feel good about Amari Cooper. We just need one play, one play to prove what we believe is the truth that lies under the surface of the metrics. Just give us one play and that will realign everyone's perception of Amari Cooper. So if you have him rostered, hold on. Yeah, he's on the field, guys. He's on the field. He's on the field. That's it. I love that analysis. That's uh, it. He's on the field. He's playing 100% of the snaps yeah. with Derek Carr. They will be scoring points in Oakland. Just wait. He's on the field. Yeah, exactly. How is Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald doing what they're doing? How is this possible? There has to have been some new performance-enhancing drug that we have not yet discovered. That's what? all I can say. What? 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 Larry what? Fitzgerald has aged so well, it's unbelievable. Carson Palmer is still... That is reckless speculation. I know. It was tongue-in-cheek. You're lucky this is not a journalistic entity, Roto Underworld Radio. We'd be in trouble. Tongue-in-cheek. Okay, Carson Palmer, high-passing volume. Larry Fitzgerald, security blanket. While they're on the field together, it ain't going to change. There's going to be a lot of targets funneled to Fitz. They might be, you know, not electrifying. The low-depth variety, sure. But targets are targets, especially in fantasy. And No, that's it. No, stop right there. So I love this analysis from you right now. He's playing, and targets are targets. <laughs> You're distilling it down to... The simplicity of what matters, targets are targets, and he's playing. Right. That's what matters. I'm upset at myself. One of my regrets from this season is not aggressively pursuing Larry Fitzgerald in the wake of David Johnson's injury. Who will hog those close to the line of scrimmage targets that David Johnson vacated with his wrist injury? Well, of course. The law of the conservation of targets said that this would be a boon for Larry Fitzgerald, and I never connected the dots, and I regret it. I'm in the same boat, dude. I'm horrified. Zero draft uh, picks for me in, in 15 drafts that I did, and I didn't trade for him anywhere. I, I don't know what it is. I have a blind spot for Fitzgerald. This is the second year in a row I had a blind spot for him. Even after he finished as, I believe, the leader in receptions in the NFL last year, I still had this blind spot. So He's the ultimate Wayne. We've seen Anquan Bolden and Reggie Wayne and before them, of course, Terrell Owens and going back to Jerry Rice. Players that take exceptional care of their body play an additional three to five years at a high level. They can do it, and of course Larry Fitzgerald can do it. He runs a wide receiver camp that all the Waynes want to go to. So if you're wired in a way that you want to be a master of your craft, if you're obsessive-compulsive about your strength and conditioning and being the best football player you can possibly be, where do you want to go in the offseason? To Larry 
Larry Fitzgerald's camp. So it would make sense that Larry Fitzgerald himself would be the pinnacle of that type of player. And at age 34, why are we surprised as a top five fantasy asset? We're all idiots. It was right in front of us the whole time. He runs a goddamn camp. Now, which under-the-radar player will shock the world this week? Just shocking performance this week. Who is it? Oh, uh, you're going to probably laugh in my face. I think – oh, this is this is going to hurt to say this out loud. Oh, I think oh. C.J. Beathard is going to post low-end QB1 numbers against Dallas's atrocious defense this week. Why not? I mean, why not C.J. Beathard? We talked about quarterback performances are highly matchup sensitive. And the 49ers have a sneaky supporting cast. Pierre Garçon, the target hog, Marquise Goodwin and Aldrick Robinson stretching the field. Trent Taylor developing into, blossoming into one of the NFL's premier slot receivers. I think he will be that in the next five years. We will come to think of Trent Taylor as one of the NFL's best slot receivers. I think that's in his range of outcomes. So why not C.J. Beathard? Now, another game. Stardom or Benjamin? AJ Green. Start him. You sure? Sure about that. AJ Green. I mean You sure you're gonna start him? Yes. You're positive. Final answer. Starting AJ Green. This isn't a trick question for me. Yes. Against Pittsburgh. Allowing the least fantasy points per game to opposing wide receivers. Benching AJ Green is the epitome of getting too cute with setting your fantasy lineup. That's all I needed to say. Keenan Allen. And Tyrell Williams. Bench these guys, either one, one or the other, both. Uh, Keenan Allen is a PPR machine tethered to a pass-happy quarterback. I'll never bench him as long as they're healthy. House of Tyrell Williams. You're playing Keenan Allen against Denver? Yes. Against Chris Harris and Aqib Tlaib, you're playing Keenan Allen. I want to get you on the record saying that. Yes. But I'm benching the house of Tyrell Williams. Well, he hasn't been startable all season, so that that's an easy call. That was a layup. I give you a layup there. Dude, Keenan Allen, come on. He's a target monster. Even Even inefficient targets that will come against tough cornerbacks, I'm still going with it. Cole Beasley will outproduce Keenan Allen this week. It's very likely. He's been, I thought he was a hot waiver ad this week on a sneaky bye week for them. I agree with that. But I'm still starting him. <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys are facing the San Francisco 49ers, which already allow a significant amount of fantasy points per game above the mean to opposing wide receivers. And in the slot, Cole Beasley will face off against slot corner Quan Williams also known as a slot sieve, his coverage rating on playerprofiler.com, negative 5.5, which is number 50 in the NFL, quarterback rating allowed 101.5, outside the top 60, and a target separation of 2.2 yards per target, which is outside the top 80. And if there's one thing that Cole Beasley can do, it's get separation against opposing cornerbacks. He's going to be open all day against San Francisco, and that's how he will outscore Keenan Allen, who will be shadowed by Chris Harris, the best slot corner in the NFL. It's tough. Can I ask you a question? I'm, this isn't on the sheet. We did this arbitrage play earlier in the year. We, I think we both like these guys a lot. Jameson Crowder went up against the same exact defense this past week and he did absolutely nothing and he has done absolutely nothing something's wrong with Jamison Crowder Jamison Crowder and Cole Beasley are not comparable something is absolutely wrong with Jamison Crowder my two favorite value receivers in fantasy football over the summer 
Willie Sneed, and Jamison Crowder. I think something is physically wrong with Jamison Crowder, and I think something is mentally wrong with Willie Sneed. Both players are short-circuiting, but for different reasons. Sad. That's how I'm rationalizing two of my favorite value receivers from the summer. <laughs> Bencham or Stardom, Stephon Diggs and or Tiffany Adam Thielen. <laughs> You can't sit these guys again. I can't. You can't? You can't sit them? I just can't. I have such an affinity for them. I can't. I, I, I'll i lose. I'll go down with the ship. I start them every single week. They're facing Baltimore, one of the best pass defenses in the league, and the best cornerback on the playerprofiler.com cornerback rankings. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. There you can see our seasonal rankings, and we now include cornerback rankings. And I have bad news for either Stephon Diggs, if he plays, or Adam Thielen, if Stephon Diggs sits. Jimmy Smith is now the number one cornerback in the NFL. He usurped Jalen Ramsey as of this week. He's number one in coverage rating, number one in passer rating allowed, number one in catch rate allowed. You cannot catch passes, accumulate yards, and score touchdowns against Jimmy Smith. You just cannot. So if Stephon Diggs is coming off of a groin injury, if he's questionable or a game-time decision and he opts to play, and play outside, matched up one-on-one with Jimmy Smith, I want no part of Stephon Diggs this week. If it's Adam Thielen, it's a different story, because Adam Thielen still plays in the slot, even in three-receiver sets when Stephon Diggs doesn't play. So they can hide Adam Thielen and get him in away from Jimmy Smith. So Adam Thielen can still be successful, but if it's Stephon Diggs this week, not 100% against Jimmy Smith, you can't play him, Raph. You just can't. Don't do it. I'm telling you not to do it. As a friend, I'm telling you, don't do it. Now, the Colts. You're starting T.Y. Hilton. You're starting Dante Moncrief. Moncrief is is never a must start for me. Well, you can't start Moncrief this week against Jacksonville. You just cannot. They have the they have the best second corner in the NFL, AJ Boye. The last thing you want to do is play Dante Moncrief, who's not playing particularly well anyway, against AJ Boye. That's suicide. When a guy runs a four three nine, it's hard for me to bench him. No, T.Y. Hilton led the league in receiving yards last year, and I know that was with luck. I, See, again, I'm kind of old school. I'm, this isn't like start your studs. This is just I can't bench ace wide receivers. And it probably is to my detriment at times. Now, in DFS, it's a totally different story. You need to get off these guys, man. You need to get off these guys when they're playing the top five corners. Get off them. I think it really depends on options, Matt. I happen to draft teams where, where you know wide receivers are heavy. So, yes, there's a chance that I can tap dance around these starts. But I agree with you. You should be starting A.J. Green because the Steelers do not have a cornerstone shadow corner like Jacksonville, like Denver, like Baltimore. So starting A.J. Green is fine. I'm on board with that. Of course, I'm not benching A.J. Green. But when you start going down to Keenan Allen and we're talking about a hobbled Stephon Diggs, or talking about T.Y. Hilton going up against the best secondary in the NFL with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, it becomes challenging when you have other options that you like this week. If you don't have other options, it's fine. But if you have other, if you have other options you like, then okay. The problem is with Aaron Rodgers going down and bye weeks now upon us, there are less and less and less wide receiver options that we like. So you're playing T.Y. Hilton regardless. The one interesting thing about T.Y. is that last year he was at a 43% slot rate, and this year he's only at like 16.5%. That actually makes me a little more nervous about this matchup. 
you work him out of the slot, I think he has a better chance, especially on those short targets that passes. But you're right. It's a risky matchup. If there's a wide receiver other than Antonio Brown, of course, always with the caveat, other than Antonio Brown, because Antonio Brown proof. is the ultimate matchup-proof wide receiver in the history of the NFL. Other than Antonio Brown, if you had to pick a wide receiver that could score a touchdown against Jalen Ramsey, it would be T.Y. Hilton because of his ability to separate deep. And for, on any given play, Jacoby Brissett launches a pass that flutters down perfectly into T.Y. Hilton's hands on a go route in a dead sprint, and he scores a touchdown. That can happen on any given play for T.Y. Hilton. That's why you play him just in case. Will he have one of those signature T.Y. Hilton eight catches for 170 yards and two touchdown games? No. The ceiling is lowered this week for T.Y. Hilton, but I can't imagine not playing it. Now, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, you're starting these guys, you're benching these guys. It took it took us to get to this point. I'm playing Devontae Adams, I'm benching Jordy and Randall Cobb. Whoa, really? You're playing Adams over Jordy? Well, I think Jordy's going to get uh, Latimer. So, yeah, I'm probably going to play Devontae. Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams has been surprisingly good at scoring touchdowns. He's not that far off from Jordy Nelson over the past couple of seasons. Like if you if you take last year and this year into account. So it's a coin flip, dude. I mean, I'm not going to fault anyone for playing Jordy Nelson or benching Devontae Adams, but I'm personally benching Jordy Nelson and playing Devontae Adams. That's how I'd roll. Yeah. Okay. Who has the most upside for the cost in GPPs this week? Uh, one guy who I mentioned, I would only use both of these players in GPPs. Uh, Bethard's at 4,900 on DraftKings. I'll have a lineup with him. And even though uh, the Dark Knight, Orleans Darkwa, has returned, um, I do think 3,700 is too cheap to not take a flyer against Seattle. So they might even be in the same GPP lineup this week. Well, Seattle is more difficult to pass against than they are to run against. You can see Orleans Darkwa being a dark horse this week. Can you not? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And... I just I just think 3700 is disrespectfully low for a guy who's basically had, you know, two breakout weeks in a row now. He's playing well. Yeah, he looks good. good. Yeah, and looks Darkwell good. looks the part too. That's the thing about Darkwell that I love. He looks the part, man. He has the measurables. He's 215. He's he has above average speed, nice speed score, good burst. He looks like a bigger, more competent version of Charles Sims. That's a good running back. A bigger, more competent version of Charles Sims is a running back you want. That's a running back we should be celebrating his arrival and his breakout. But instead, it's just, oh, let's rationalize away the presence of Orleans Darkwa and try to reverse engineer reasons to like Wayne Gallman. Get out of here with Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman is a one-dimensional between-the-tackles grinder only. Darkwa's skill set is much more versatile, and he's just a better player. Celebrate Darkwa. And yeah, I love him in GPPs this week. We'll make sure that on the playerprofiler.com lineup optimizer, the DFS genius, we have some Orleans Darkwa lineups in there, particularly on DraftKings. Good call, Raf. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Now, who's your best value high floor cash game lock? Uh, this one's not hard, my man. It's not hard at all. Uh, anytime I look for uh, high floor players in DFS, it always starts at a running back position because you can guarantee touches. Unlike receivers, unlike tight ends and quarterbacks, you know, we're not even going to go there. It's Jarek McTruther, man. 6,300. You can go way down the list past Lev Bell, past uh, uh, Fournette, who's questionable, past Gurley, past McCoy, past CJ Anderson, past Melvin Gordon, past Mark Ingram, past Jordan Howard. And there he is, <laughs> Jarek McTruther. 
at 63 hundo. It's ridiculous. And his price just went up 2K this week, and he's still a must-start in cash. still a must-start in cash. Yeah. $2,000 is not enough for price increase, DraftKings. Nope, 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 nope. All right, nope. this is a rapid-fire game. Single answer. Bust, no bust. Bust, no bust. DeMarco Murray. <laughs> bust. C.J. Anderson. Bust. Marshawn Lynch. Super bust. No, that's not a bust. Marshawn Lynch will have a positive reversion with better game flow moving forward. He has a good half season left. I think it's taken him many weeks to get back into full optimal game shape. But I think that with the return of Derek Carr and some positive game script, Beast Mode will be back breaking tackles and scoring touchdowns. He is not a bust. He is a buy low. There are very few buy lows that I advocate for. Marshawn Lynch is one of them. Julio Jones. He's not producing first-round numbers. He's a bust. Alshon Jeffrey. I hate him, but he's not a bust. 15th in targets right now. Martavis Bryant. I hate my life. I hate my life. I own him in Dynasty. He's a bust. Okay. One bold prediction for either week seven or rest of season. Just give us the hottest real talk take. Here it is, kids. It was brewing overnight, and now I'm pulling it out. Josh Doxson will have an amazing week seven, a breakout performance like we have not yet seen out of him, and rest of season will be the leading receiver on the Washington Redskins. Love it! Josh Doxson is going to smash. Josh Doxson is going to smash. Sure is. That's the show. <laughs> Mike dropped on that one. That's good, bro. That's good. Very good stuff. Sanu. Sanu. That's the reason you didn't pick Austin Hooper is the foreboding arrival of Muhammad Sanu like an alien spaceship. One guy's a key cog in an efficient, prolific offense, Washington. One guy's a brown. I'll never forget uh, the first time I was ever introduced to Jen Selter. You know who that is? She's some, like, fitness model. But they did this whole thing with her, Barstool, and it was like... Yeah, softcore porn, sure. Basically, light pornography. Like, she's wearing, like, the tightest spandex and yoga pants and, like... They're doing this, like, rooftop workout with her. And the cameraman, whoever their cameraman was for that, is the biggest pervert. And, like, obviously, whether she realized it was going on or not, I don't know. But there are, like, zoom-in close-ups of her crotch while she's doing, like, back lifts of her legs. And it's like, it's like, dude, you completely, it's... <laughs> it's it's pure lecherousness. I just, like, facepalmed. I was like, is this even real? Like, are, are people accepting of this? This is horrific. But anyway. Yeah, they can get away with it when they have a smallish audience and it's all gross frat guys. Right. But as soon as you try to expand the audience past the, the young, raunchy kids and adults start to consume the content, they're like, what the fuck? Whenever there's something that's popular and I don't think it's cool or I don't think it's good... 
it bothers me. So whenever I meet a 19, 20, 21 year old, I always ask them, do you go to Barstool Sports? What do you think of Barstool Sports? It's weird, man. Like I enjoy a little raunchiness from now, you know, from time to time, but we did a whole fart joke thing for a whole show. That's raunchy, but they go beyond raunch. They take it a step further into misogyny. And as soon as you start going into misogyny, that's not raunchy. That's sexism, and that's not cool. And now, in the wake of Harvey Weinstein, there's this big look in the mirror, and every media company that has misogyny out in the open is starting to feel a little bit more ashamed because this guy took it to the extreme where he had it written into his contract that he could sexually assault women. That was in his contract that they would, no questions asked, that the Weinstein company would settle any lawsuits for sexual misconduct on the part of Harvey Weinstein. The board approved that clause in his contract, actively, systemically enabled by every executive at that company and every member of leadership. It's top down. No, they're blacklisted from the entertainment industry. Every single person that was ever on the payroll. Really? I don't know that to be the case. We'll see a year from now. When we turn the lights on, where are the cockroaches now? What about the head misogynist in charge of them all? Which is ironic because he started this all, Mr. Trump, with his, you know, in, in during his election uh, campaign. And all of this came out. And at the time, people weren't even overly, excuse me, concerned. But... Now, every other guy that's going down for this type of shit and every other brand that is being crucified, rightfully so, for their misogyny and their sexism and their poor taste of behavior with women, we have one more, one more guy to take down, Mr. Kelly. The last shoe to drop is the biggest boot in the closet. Actually, probably has small feet. I think where the suspense is around Donald Trump and why he's so captivating, because you're just not sure what's going to take him down. There are so many avenues by which he could go down. I don't know what the final nail is going to be. I don't think he makes it four years, but I don't know if it's going to be a scandal with women. I don't know if it's going to be a scandal with white nationalists. I don't know if it's going to be a scandal with Russia. I don't know if he tries to enter the nuclear codes and you're like, no, no, you can't do that. Stop it. The hell is wrong with you, man? Every single day. I'm not even a Democrat. Every single day I look at him and I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? But it's very hard. I can't do more than five a day because it's, the phone calls are too difficult to make. And I don't think many other presidents did it. No, 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 See, they all do it. All the presidents call. That's one of the signature activities of the president is they call those families. He just made that up out of nowhere. Reagan and Bush and Clinton and Obama and their thing. What? 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 Where did you? How did you? Yeah. Improv. We were in big trouble. What I've learned is all the things that he's doing, whacking the beehive constantly, it's this huge drag on the economy and on all of our psyches. There were months would go by, I wouldn't think about Obama. I wouldn't even think, I wouldn't even know what we were doing with our government, what, no idea what they were working on in Washington, and that's the way you want it. You want everybody just working and focusing on their own lives and not getting stressed out by these external forces they can't control. But by him stressing everybody out, 
ratcheting up the tension in the entire society, that has a huge hidden cost. So that's what this tumultuousness that he's created, it has an enormous hidden cost. I think it affects worker productivity across the board. I think it affects morale across the board, happiness across the board. All these indices that measure societal welfare, he is a drag on all those indices because he's perpetually creating havoc, cultural, societal havoc. And that is a huge cost, man. I never realized that. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. This has been less than a year of Trump. This feels like a full term already. We can't have any more wars, dude. That's just it. We just can't have any more wars. They're not good. I thought we learned a lesson with Vietnam, but apparently we didn't. <clears throat> I've got something in my throat, man. I cannot get it out. <coughs> I don't even have to cough. No, it's like a... <clears throat> it's a frog. <clears throat> There is something wedged in there. I don't know what it is. And don't say it's a penis. I know what you're going to say. I, wa I, was, I was actually going to say the... I'm going to beat you to it. No, I did not smoke the ganja. And no, it's not a penis. Thank you. Give him time to fail. <laughs> Jarek McTruther at 6300. It's ridiculous. And his price just went up 2K this week, and he's still a must-start in cash games. He's still a must-start in cash. $2,000 is not enough for price increase, DraftKings. Eight games without Aaron Rodgers. <clears throat> God damn it. <clears throat> I can't believe This is going to haunt me the entire show. I cannot believe it. I've never had this happen. I've heard of this happening to people. That you get a frog in your throat and you can't get out of it. You can't expel it. I've heard broadcasters have this problem. This has never been an affliction I've had to worry about. Now I am. I can't believe it. I can feel it in my throat. It's just, it, it just kind of comes up and it just grabs me in the middle of the night like a monster under my bed. This fucking thing in my throat. You have T minus five days, 15 hours, 11 minutes, 62, wait, not 62 seconds, 42 seconds to trade for Joe Mixon. I'm going to put that in the outtakes. There's no such thing as 62 seconds. You, I've, I've been boxing you out of the show since the frog was killed. I was ready to be the workhorse today, buddy, if the frog had popped back up. But I'm good. I'm good playing the satellite back role. We're, we're doing it. Deshaun Watson can prove that he belongs in that echelon. But I need to see more. But I would admit that I am trending very, very, very wrong. I was waiting for that line, actually. Yes, modulation. Yeah, Initiating trade talks with a newly vindicated sicko diehard Adrian Peterson truther is not my idea of a good time. Hold on. Hold on. Can't whistle. The frog is still in there. Starting AJ Green. This isn't a trick question for me. Yes. He's on the field, guys. He's on the field. Just wait. He's on the field. But targets are targets. But targets are targets. He's on the field, guys. He's on the field. He's on the field. When you sit down in front of the microphone and accept the call that comes in from Roto Underworld on your computer, you know, above all else, there will be tough questions. 
where do you want to go in the offseason, to Larry Fitzgerald's camp. So it would make sense that Larry Fitzgerald himself would be the pinnacle of that type of player. And at age 34, why are we surprised as a top five fantasy asset? We're all idiots. It was right in front of us the whole time. He runs a goddamn camp.